0: Uh you might notice a uh, little Chloe back there. Just a the gift this morning. I didn't even know that Ruth was here and the baby or else I would have uh introduced everybody formally. But uh what a gift. What a gift. There was there was uh um Kathy trying to compete and show me pictures of her grandkids and everything. It's just not the same, it's not the same, you know. All right, I want to talk to you about uh mortifying the old me. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read 15 verses and then just dive right in, okay, you ready? Verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, notice the resurrection there. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are what? Wow, you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, you ought to underline those four words. Who is our life. Shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, most of us, all the time, when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath and malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew now, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy. And beloved, bowels of mercies, look at the list, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, that's a church, and be ye thankful. All right, now you would think that once a person gets born again, they would never want to do anything that they used to do that was wrong and sinful or wicked. You would think that we would never want to do something sinful after we got saved. But we do. It just comes naturally for us to sin. As a matter of fact, it's in our nature to sin. Never forget that. There, there are people who actually think that once you're saved, you never sin. And that's not possible. Okay? You're denying your very nature. Unless we're seeing, you know, uh, unless we understand that I will sin, okay? I'm never, uh, I'm never uh, proud of it, and I'm never, um, uh, I'm never happy. After you sin, you always have grief if you're saved, but but uh, at least I know that I shouldn't be doing it. Whereas before, I didn't care whether I sinned. Anybody else here? You just didn't care, Uh but the key is unless we see that by continuing in a sin that sin will ultimately uh cause us to reap for that sin i'll show you look at uh, still in colossians chapter 3 verse 24 down to the bottom he says knowing that of the lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the lord christ amen i've got an inheritance if i serve him but verse 25 but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done, and there is no respect of persons. What does Galatians say? You reap what you sow. All right? God is not mocked. So I sin, and unless I realize the cost of my sin as a Christian, I'll never want to get the victory out of it. So just because it comes naturally doesn't mean that I should continue in it. So what is a Christian supposed to do with their old nature? I can't cut off my left hand. I can't literally, at least I don't want to, pluck out my eyes. I can't live in a beehive hut out in Dingle. There were, there were some priests back in about the 1100s and, and, and monks and stuff that tried to get the highest pole. Some of them different areas. I think the highest pole ever built, and the guy was sat up on, trying to get closer to God, it was somewhere around 110 feet high, a pole, and this poor priest got up there and stayed up there for like 200 days. Right? They would, with a pulley or with a rope, send up food and send it, send you know, send down empty plates and things like this. And what was he trying to do? And there were dozens of these people, uh, these guys all over. They were in Ireland, they were in England, they were in France, they were in Italy. I forget where this one guy he went. He built this thing and was able to hold him up. For 200 days. You know what he's trying to do? Stay away from sin. That's what he's trying to do. He said, if I could just stay up here, I won't sin. Guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> I mean, he came down a mental case, all right? It rained on him. Birds pooped on him, everything. He, it, and he got angry at himself. He couldn't find uh, freedom from sin. You know why? Because it's in him. It's in you. So what do we do with our old nature? What is our old nature? We're going to actually review this a little bit in just a few minutes, but what is your old nature? Do you remember what it is? It's what you do without even thinking. Your old nature breathes, all right? Your old nature, without even thinking, does things. It's just whatever your, your nature of liking. Now, your old nature is different than mine in some ways, all right? Whatever you like may not be what I like, but what I do and what I like without even thinking is my old nature, It is, unless, um, now how do I tell if it's my old nature or my new nature? Anything in me, anything I do that is different than what Jesus did, or is different than how Jesus reacted, that is the old nature. So how do I know what is wrong? Well, anything, that's why we have a whole life of Christ. Anything that's not like Christ is me. That's the old me. So when the Bible talks about the old me, who is it referring to? You. No matter what you're like, and what's the new you? If you're born again, what's the new man? Christ. Christ in you. Now, which one should you live like? The new you, okay? <clears throat> so, now, wouldn't you like to just be rid of the of the old you? Amen. But guess what? It doesn't happen until death do you part, amen? <laughs> so, I'm stuck with this old me for a little while. I want to learn what are we supposed to do with that old nature. And the Bible uses one word. He says, mortify it. So let's let's review a few things there. In, in Colossians chapter 3, God calls us to do an extraordinary thing. He calls us to mortify, and he uses a word there. It doesn't say murder. It doesn't say, uh, you know, it doesn't even say modify, by the way. It says mortify our old natural ways of living, our old habits, our stubbornness, so that we can replace it with a new way of living. Dan, can I borrow your jacket for a minute? Now, um, uh this this is this is All right. Okay, okay, it's good. Anyway, got to make sure. All right. Now what am I doing? I'm kind of being foolish, but I'm putting on putting on Dan's jacket. <laughs> like Laurel and Hardy, right? Anyway, all right. Now It's kind of foolish, all right, first of all, to put on another jacket on top of a jacket. Why? Because you're supposed to wear one jacket at a time. And you know, you're only supposed to live one life at a time. So if I am going to put on, now, no, hold on, I'm going to keep your jacket for a minute. If I really liked your jacket, if I wanted to wear it, I'd take off my jacket first. Us guys, you know, you ladies, you go buy something and you'll be in a shop for two hours trying on different things. A guy goes in, he tries on one thing and walks out with it, all right? But if I wanted to put on your jacket, which would be kind of stupid, but I want you to get the idea, just for fun, so you don't forget this. If I want to put on this jacket and look, you know, somewhat presentable, which is, I don't know what I look like, but it looked like, I probably look, I thought his jacket would be too small, and it's just, I just didn't win. But anyway, I took off a jacket to put on a jacket. And if I'm struggling with, I'm trying to be kind. I want to wear this different life. I want to, I want to, to the world, I want to react differently. Until I take off my old nature, I actually put it off, until I, one by one, put off that old garment, I'll never be able to wear the new garment comfortably, and rightly, it will never fit right, and it won't work right. So if I'm going to, now i give you a jacket back, if I'm going to put on the new man, and the put on doesn't mean get it. The Christian's already got the new man. The Christian already is the new man. What the Christian's trying to do is put it, What's on the inside, put it on the outside. Does that make sense? I'm supposed to work out what God put in. So if I have been given the grace of God, I want to have grace. But I can't put on grace until I get rid of some things that interfere with grace. Does that make sense? All right, so i got to replace it. Uh, Sin is in every one of us. We don't have time to look at these. Go back to the the message I preached uh, back in May uh, on part one. But Romans chapter 7 says sin is in me. And I, I don't want to, and yet I end up doing it. And this is a Christian talking. He's not an unsaved person. A Christian struggles and says, I, I don't want to do something, and yet I do it. I do want to do something, and I don't. So sin is in every one of us. It's already in our hearts. We Now, here's the great truth. I can't get rid of sin, meaning that I never sin again, but I can mortify it. So, uh, it is accomplished by a yielding. God did not, God did not uh, uh, change my old nature. He put a new nature in there, and I, on a day-by-day basis, now what's most important is, is the fact that I've been given that new nature, not that I, see, God doesn't mind the fact that you still sin. Did I say that? But listen, listen. God doesn't mind that you still sin. Because he'd already paid for it. He doesn't have to stop you from sinning to get you ready to go to heaven. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Step by step, you ready? Little baby step. He doesn't have to stop you from sinning in order to get you ready for heaven. He paid for your sin. So now your sin can no longer separate you from God. Let me hear an amen. All right. So my my entrance into heaven is not that I've been made perfect, but I have been justified, okay? So, rest on that. I've always wanted to preach a message on how a Christian should be a good, healthy sinner. I haven't preached it yet. But I want you to understand, you will sin, you will disobey God, you will do things wrong, and God doesn't go, oh, that's it, I'm not letting them into heaven. can't do that. He's not going to do that. He's already paid for it. He's already justified all of your sin by making Christ pay for it. So that's something we're shouting about, okay? But now that I'm saved, I I have this old nature. That's me. Craig Ledbetter. The moment I got saved, Craig Ledbetter did not disappear. Are you with me? Craig Ledbetter knelt down. I got out of the chair. I was at at a kitchen table. I got out of the chair on my knees next to the table, and I cried out to God, asked him to save me. And when I got up, Craig Ledbetter was still there. Are you with me? But I wasn't alone anymore. Somebody moved in, didn't he? All right. So... At that moment, now there are two, me's. Okay, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. I'm the old me's there, but the new me. I've been given a new me, but the old me and the new me don't get along, do they? All right. So how do I get to the place where this new me on the inside is lived on the outside? All right. Part of it is in Romans chapter eight. Let's go there. Romans chapter eight. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to read Romans 8, 13. I will, let's see, youngin. And by the way, youngin and his sister, I think I told you this, but next week will be the last week. And they're going back to uh, South Korea. Then he says he's going to go to Germany. I mean, what a, what a traitor. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Germany, who goes to Germany anyway? Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Youngin, if you would read that. okay this is a, this is the biggest verse out of this whole thing I believe okay and I don't mean to confuse you but I want you to see if I continue to live like the old me are you with me if I continue to live I'm a Christian Paul's talking to Christians if a Christian continues to live like they're not saved what will happen to me I'll die okay even though you're saved you're gonna die early you're not gonna you're not going to experience the purpose of and the plan of God in your life, if you don't take it serious that if I continue to live the old me, even though I'm saved, even though I have the new me, put new regenerated inside me, if I live the old me, I will what? God, this is the most important thing to start with, right? But if I, through what? Through the Spirit, do mortify. Now, that's a, that's a constant work. How many of you have ever been to a fun fair? Now, this is probably just an American thing, but Dan and I, we were somewhere. Oh, no, we were at bowling. And there was, there was this grid with holes in it, and he had a mallet, and a squirrel would pop his head up. How many of you ever seen those things? And you hit it, and if you, it, when it popped the next one, you hit it. How many like that? You know, I, I liked that when I was a kid. Amen. It's fun. Boom, 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 boom. And, you, and you're constantly trying to race. We're just going to pop up. That's sin in our life. And if we kind of just let them run amok, they kill us. But if we, every time one of them shows up, if we mortify that thing, we'll live. That's how we live. Say, I don't like it. That's how God designed it. That's how God designed it. He does not take away our old habits. He gives us a reason to to deal with them and a way to mortify them. You know, I think that um, uh, when Sarah, where is she? When Sarah gets behind the wheel of a car and learns how to drive a car, okay? She will be tense, will be more tense. But anyway, she'll be tense, she'll be nervous, she'll be, you know, anxious about cars, and that's a good thing, amen? But the longer she drives, the more comfortable she'll be with expecting things on the road, amen? Okay, when you're you're dealing, when sin is knocking and sin is coming at you, you're tense and you're fighting, but after a while... Sins not you don't pay attention to anymore, do you? At least certain sins. The more you get the victory over sin, the less grip it has. Amen? Not that you never are free from it, but through the Spirit, you can mortify the deeds of the flesh in your lips. So, let's talk about very briefly the meaning of the words the flesh and mortify it, just to review. The flesh is is talked about several times in Scripture. It is the physical you. It's, It's everything about you. It is what you do naturally without even thinking, all right? The nature of a dog is to bark and growl. The nature of a cat is to... (laughs) And and purr. I mean, I've never seen a dog purr, amen? That's a cat thing, isn't it? The nature of a chicken is to cluck and peck. I mean, some dog pecking somewhere, you know, you'd shoot the thing. You say, What's wrong with that dog? That's not the nature of a dog. You understand... And and the nature of humans is to disobey. Wait till you get a little a little one of your own. And you go, Oh, my son will never sin. Yeah, we'll watch that thing pan out. How's that thing gonna go? It's in our nature. We say, don't do that, and they go, hmm. <laughs> it's just in our nature. All right? It is the normal ways you do things. I'll give you an example. Alright. You come along, and I won't do it to Kathy. I gotta fix somebody. But anyway, but How, if somebody steps on your toe, how you instantly react without even thinking, you stepped on my toe. (laughs) How you instantly react, that's your old nature. Does that make sense? That's how you're wired. That's, that's the thing you've got to say, I gotta stop that, amen, because I'll probably kill somebody. All right? So normal ways of doing things, it is your culture that you're in because, you know, when you get a bunch of people who all do the same things naturally, it becomes their culture. That's why Ireland, why it's so hard to give the gospel to to certain cultures, because their culture protects their old nature. Their old nature loves self-worship. They love to be seen as self-righteous. They love to think that they're okay. So you come in and you're fighting a culture full of old nature. Does that make sense? And so When you do an inventory of everything in your heart that's not like Christ, that's you, and that's the old nature. When we talk about mortifying, we're talking about a different word than what is used today in the modern uh, meanings. It means to be humiliated, where somebody says, Oh, I was mortified. Oh, I just could die out of embarrassment. But that's not what the Bible talks about when it uses the word mortify, mortify. It basically means, biblically, it means to render something lifeless, to starve it, to let something die, okay? Um, It also means to put something to death when it won't die, to kill it. And the third, it means to bury the old parts of me when they do die. You know, um, I've heard about it, I haven't heard about it in a while, but some of you, and I don't mean to be morbid, okay, but there have been, some Some sad situations where uh, family has gone and checked on on grandpa and there 's grandma there, and grandpa 's sitting in the chair and he 's been dead for months because grandma couldn't couldn 't bear being without him, and so she just left him propped up in the chair in front of the TV she needed to bury grandpa would you agree All right, what am I going to i 'm going to sometimes we have a sin that we know is, is wrong, and we have, we have confessed it, we've forsaken it, but we still hold on to it. We still sort of keep it around. You know what that Bible says? It's dead, and you're keeping a dead thing around, and mortify means you need to take whatever God's given the victory over and bury it and never dig it up again. The devil will come along and remind you. What he does is he comes with a spade and he digs up an old past event and he digs up that old dead body and he says, "Remember when you liked this?" And you go, "Oh yeah, I miss that." <laughs> Mortify means put it back uh, out of view, um, uh, bury that thing. Don't go back there. Don't try and and and, and enjoy you know the memory and the uh, and miss all of the. Uh, the good old times you no know, keep it buried that's mortify all right this is how a Christian constantly deals with their old self they're going to have to starve or sometimes you may have to literally and this is a wrestling where you actually choke a um, and kill off uh, a, a um, uh, 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 um, an old part of you and then you're constantly burying what the devil gives up brings up Now, you can only, like we read there in Romans chapter 8, it says you can only do it through the Spirit. So can an unsaved person do any of this? This is not possible. Can a Christian who is really not caring how they live, can they ever do this? No, because until you seek to walk in the Spirit, and until you are ready to turn your back on the old you and say, I'll do whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to do, wouldn't that be a great thing? Till you're willing to do that. And I think it takes a crisis, would you agree? Before you finally say, I got to do this. I got I to start putting the Lord Jesus Christ in, at first in my life. I've got to start listening for the Holy Spirit. I've got to do whatever he says to do, no matter what it is. It usually takes a crisis to get us to that place, amen? So you do it through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And and when we talk about mortifying, the word reckon means to understand Calculate to add up to conclude that I'm already dead. Now I'll talk about this in a more. But if you could get this, you've arrived. <clears throat> it's called the crucified life. Let's go to Galatians two twenty. Dean, Galatians two twenty. <clears throat> So I want to be crucified with Christ? Is that how he talks? He says, I am crucified. Crucified, that's pretty deadly, isn't it? All right, it's not I'm tickled with Christ. No, I'm crucified. It's a, it's a painful reality. Sometimes you say, what it costs me to get saved, what it costs me to live the Christian life. Yeah, that's bearing my cross. But it's called the crucified life. Galatians six fourteen, let's see, embryo. Galatians, still in the same book, chapter six, verse fourteen. <clears throat> God forbid that I It's a brilliant verse. I, I'm dead to the world. The world's dead to me. doesn't have the pool like it used to. Now, they give me an illustration, okay? So, Connor back there. Say, Connor uh, has, um, uh, um, I don't know, <clears throat> maybe uh, a, uh, I need an illustration of a wall, okay? And I ask Connor, Connor, there's a brick wall over there, and I want you to pull it down. And Connor goes, ball. Oh. All right? <laughs> Let big go kick ball. That's all I know. <laughs> pull down a wall. And if I try to pull down, now the Bible says pulling down strongholds, doesn't it? If I go to try to pull down the strongholds in my life and I try to do it on my own, I say I'm not going to have that thing in control of my life anymore. And if I do it just by my own willpower, guess what? It won't come down. Just like Connor trying to pull down a concrete wall. But I'll give you an example. I come along and I say, Connor, come on. You use your decision to pull against that wall, and I'll help you. And I'm a picture of the Holy Spirit in his life as I choose to fight against and to mortify my flesh. But I try to do it by asking God to help me do it. His strength gets in there, and the walls come down. Do you understand? When I start to believe that his power can do what I cannot do, then it happens. Uh, and, And We need to now get to the place where we say, all right, how do I do it? The process of reckoning ourselves actually dead, all right? The the actually mortifying the old me, digging the, the thing. Colossians 3, look at verse 3 again. Go to the right, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 3 and 4, Jennifer, please. All right, who's my life? All right, so I don't even have my own life anymore. Now, I do, but he's my life. And what what is it that Paul says, even though I may not experience it, at least yet, and understand it, and even though I may not believe it, what is it that Paul says is a fact, according to that verse? Well, that's later on. What's the first thing he says is a fact? I'm dead. Okay. Now let's flip it so that you get a little understanding. Uh, Dan was a sinner way back then okay We won't go about how bad but anyway a sinner way back then. but you know what God looks at him and says he's justified. It's a fact all right Now in order in order for Dan to not carry the guilt, Of all of that sin, whatever was his past, he's got to, in his mind, reckon, conclude, I'm forgiven. Amen? All right. Now that you can conclude that, you can also conclude, I'm dead. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not breathing. doesn't mean that you're not thinking, that you're not there. But the, the old part of you is dead to who? It's dead to God. God doesn't listen to you when you're carnal. God doesn't love you in your carnal. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't even know you in your carnal state. He knows the new you. That's all he's worried about. Okay. So the point is, if I, if I was able to reckon myself lost, cry out to God to save me, and now I reckon myself, I'm saved. I am forgiven. If you can do that, then you can get to the place now where you take the next step. And you say, "Well, the old me is dead." As far as God's concerned. That old me is gone. I know he's not gone, okay? He gets up every morning when I get up, amen? And he wants to run everything when I'm trying to make decisions. So I've got to, just about every day, if not 25 times a day, I've got to reckon myself to be dead. Now, you believe this, you believed enough, like I said, to be saved. You believe that Jesus died. You believe he rose from the grave. You believe he's in heaven right now, don't you? You believe it all to be true. Well, you need to believe that you're already free from that old you. What it means is, as far as God's concerned, you can believe that you are, back there in chapter 3, it says, verse 2, set your affection on things above, and not on things on the earth, for ye, verse 3, are. Dead. So believe you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. God's not gonna. Is there is there an adversary? Is there a prosecuting attorney? Who is he? The devil. Now he's got a de- he's got a memory that's impeccable. He doesn't have to make up stuff about me. He just has to remind God of what I really am like. You know what God says? That's not the Craig I know. Amen. Because the Craig I know no longer is alive. So as far as God's concerned, I'm dead. Do I believe that? I'm working on it. Are you with me? Okay, so I need to believe that I'm dead. And my life now is hid with Christ and God. I mean, there's no chance for the Lord to go, how did you get in here, Craig? <laughs> Boy, let me check your record. I, oh, no, you're out of here. He's never going to do that. I now also need to believe that I died on the cross when I got saved. When I got saved, when you got saved, you didn't know what you were doing. You were just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You were just calling on his name. You were just turning to God and, 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 and clinging to what Jesus did. But God ran you and put you on the cross and left you there to die, just like his son. And all your sins, and if you could believe it, it'll change your life. All your sins have been forgiven already. Colossians chapter 2, Andrew and verse 13, Colossians 2. By the way, Colossians is the book to understand the old man, new man better than any other book. I love Romans. I love Ephesians. But Colossians is the best of the best of the best books for me to understand the old me versus the new me. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Them all Hold. How many? I love that all. Go ahead. Okay. When he put something, when when Jesus was put on the cross, what happened on the cross to Jesus? It killed him. All right. When God put all of my record on the cross, what happened to my record? It was put to death. It was... Done, dusted, buried, gone. I mean, some of you ought to be saying amen better than this, amen. Now, uh, go back to chapter 1 and, uh, Eric, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. All right, notice it doesn't say the forgiveness of sin like one general thing, but the forgiveness of sins, all of them. So I need to believe that I'm dead. My life is now hid with Christ and God. I died on the cross when I got saved. All my sins have been forgiven, and I'm now living a new life. Chapter 3, let's read 1, 2, and 4 again. Do you mind? You ready, Ben? you got Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4. Okay. So, what does he say? He says, if you are risen with Christ, look forward to heaven. Set your affection on things where above. I'm going above, folks. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Verse three, verse four says, "When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, guess where we'll be? <laughs> we'll be with Him." Amen. You see, when when you bury me, all you're doing is you're burying a shell. I've gone on. Amen. I've graduated. I've uh uh I've I've left this world behind. Amen. And the life which I now live is eternal. And you start to believe that there's no way that the devil can get the upper hand in you. Not because you're resisting sin, but because you focus on what's more true than your sin. You're focusing on and you're believing a greater reality. Are you a sinner? Is that a reality? Yes or no? Yes. Does sin have the potential to destroy your life? Even after you say, yes. But there's a greater reality. When I focus on the fact I'm dead, when I focus, my life is hid with Christ and God. My, my, uh, 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 I died on the cross. I didn't die because of willpower, because I've done some yoga class, because I've done some, some, uh, uh, you know, some, Uh, I've separated myself from all the influences of the world. I died because of the cross. And all of my sins have been forgiven. And I live now a new eternal life. I have the gift. God, which is eternal life. You start to believe that. You've now got yourself reckoning reality. A true reality. I'm dead. So when somebody offers you a cigarette... What did you used to do when you were smoking? You know, she said, no, willpower. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to smoke. Anybody else do like that? Anybody? Instead of worrying about that, when you've got your mind on those four things, notice what it says. Set your affection on things above. If I set my affection on things above and somebody hands me a cigarette, why would I want to smoke that thing? All of a sudden, the cigarette doesn't have the pull. Amen? Okay mortify. Now he goes on, and I can only go so far, but look at verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 here in Colossians chapter 3. He says, okay, if you can reckon this to be true, now you can, verse 5, you can mortify. And he says this, he says, mortify, therefore, your members. Members are your fingers, your eyes, your ears, your brain, your heart, your feet. You mortify your members which upon the earth, which are used for the following things. Watch it. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, so there are five key activities that have to die in my life for me to actually start. I have to get rid of these things for the life which is in me to start being lived on the outside. Are you with me? All right, five key activities. Look at the words. The first one is fornication. Fornication is all sex outside of marriage. That includes homosexuality, that includes incest, that includes some of those vile things that they talk about on the radio. Commonplace now today. Fornication is any sex that's outside of marriage. End of story. And that has to die. There ought to be nobody in this room that decides it's okay to live with somebody before you're married. Amen. That's fornication. The Bible says you must mortify any Thought in your mind that says, hey, we love each other. We don't have to get married. Yes, you do. If you're going to have sex, you've got to get married. Amen. Amen. He says, something else has got to die. Uncleanness. Now, fornication is an unclean act, un, uh, and, and uncleanness is an unclean thought. When it talks about uncleanness, it talks about filthy thinking. Inordinate affection, inordinate means it's out of order. It's a wrong thing to love. Name me something it's wrong to love. Think about it for a minute. What's a wrong thing to love? Money. money. The love of money is the root of all evil. What else is there that's wrong to love? Pride. Did you say pride? Strange women, strange women. okay. <laughs> strange women, all women are strange. But strange women, that means any woman who's not your wife, that's a stranger to you, and they're not to be loved, and that's exactly right. There are things that you shouldn't love. Some people only love themselves. Some people love the world, love the culture, love the disco, love the friends, love the Facebook. Anything that is of this world, the Bible says, is enmity against God. All right, so inordinate affection is loving the wrong things. I, I ha- Listen, for you to even begin to have the Christian life on the outside, you're going to have to get these things off of the outside. All right. For example, if I'm going to put on a suit, I got to, I'm going to use a terrible example, okay? Because I've never worn them in my life. But if I was, if I liked wearing hot pants, yes, of course I would. But I got to get rid of them. If I'm going to start to be a Christian, would you agree? Amen. Get that out of your head now. What am I talking about? I'm giving you an example of, you know, there are things that I've got to dump from my life. I've got to puke. I've got to hate them and say they've got to be out so that when I mortify them, I can put on the right things. All right? So, because you couldn't, you wouldn't like to see me with a tie, a suit top, and hot pants. Okay? Maybe in some churches, but not this one. All right? Inordinate affection... Fourthly, he lists evil concupiscence. Now, concupiscence is a wonderful word. It just simply means love, but it has such a deep meaning we don't have time to look at. But evil concupiscence, you hear the word Cupid in there? Evil love. That's lust. A lot of guys say, I love you. What they mean is, I'm lusting after you. All right? And that, as a Christian, I've got to control what I lust after. What I think I have to have as far as lust. And then he lists one more, which is idolatry, covetousness. By the way, covetousness is the most modern sin out of the entire list. Most people are not content. They see another, they see another woman's husband, and the woman goes, I wish my husband was like that. That's covetousness. Only all five of those things have to be mortified. You can't put it off. You, I mean, you can't, you can't ignore, sorry, putting them off. You, you can't ignore killing these off. If you've ever had a mouse in your house, okay? If you've ever had a mouse in your house, try and ignore it. <laughs> right, right in the door, right in the wall, next to your headboard while you're trying to go to sleep, and there's a family of mice. Try and ignore them. You've got to deal with them. Would you agree? And You must deal with those things as well. You're going to have to kill them off. Amen. Poison the whole thing. Decide that. Colossians, back to Colossians 3 and verse 7. You must decide that I used to, in the past, live that way. Who's next? Let me get uh, Dermot. Colossians 3 and verse 7. Is that present tense or is it past tense? I love it. I like putting the past in the past, I like having some things. In the rear view mirror, amen? So you used to, and you need to in your head, you need to be able to say, I used to live that way. Um, and you decide, I'm not living that way anymore. You know, a sign that you're saved is the fact that you don't live different. You don't live the way you used to live, amen? That's, that's one of the proofs that you're saved. Not that you live perfectly, but that there has been a change. If there's not been a change in your life, what can you conclude? There's not been a salvation. There has to have been some things that have changed. All right? Now, uh, uh, why should we mortify these things? I'm going to be real clear. Because they will attract the wrath of God. You ready? Look at verse 8. No. Uh, Verse 6. Shanae's. All right. So... For which things, and she, and we read verse five: uh, fornication, uncleanness, and affection, concubinism. These things are the reason why the wrath of God is coming. And believe me, it's coming on Ireland. I think, I think, folks. If I can, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. Um, I'm going to tell you this, however. Um, you know, I'm. I, I honestly, I'm glad England stood her ground and broke away from the EU, because it just goes to show that that revival could take place, people going along with the flow and everything toward the one world government is where we're going, folks, can still be hindered. If only we would get on our face before God and plead for God to give our country back to us so that the EU and Brussels doesn't tell Dublin to bring in abortion. If, If only we could believe that. Now, my point is this. I think, however... But it's not going to last that long, the greatness of this, this breakaway, because Scotland and other countries are, I think the EU is going to crumble. I think everybody's terrified of that. I think England will crumble. I think there's a lot of bad days ahead. Now, don't go sell your house and go move off onto a boat somewhere. Don't do that. Don't do that. But what am I saying? I'm saying, folks, the wrath of God is coming. In England, And the last thing, when, when David Cameron got up there and he said, He said, I'm resigning, but my legacy will be allowing anybody who claims to love each other to marry. Same-sex marriage. He wanted his legacy to be queer marriage? And to Kenny, same thing. You're inviting the wrath of God. Amen. Inordinate affection, the whole list there. So why, why should I worry about mortifying pornography? Mortifying Wicked thoughts, mortifying, wrong loves, covetousness. Why should I worry about it? Because the wrath of God's coming and I don't want to be in trouble with God. Amen? All right. I'm going to stop there. I'll have to pick up um, because it's, uh, uh, we move on. Once you deal with these things, can I be real plain? Once you deal with these things, then you can deal with anger. Then you can deal with bitterness. You say, I'm struggling with bitterness. Amen. But let's go back and see if you've dealt with the bigger things. Because if you're sitting there watching pornography on the internet, and then you're trying to deal with anger, it ain't going to get fixed. Amen. Amen and amen. Just here. Are you with me? So Paul gives two levels. He talks about these things being put off, and then he talks about put off also these things. And they're in degrees. You've got to deal with these five things. And you've got to be honest. You've got to start looking at your life and say, am I happy with the, the husband God gave me? Do I, am I joyful with the wife of my youth? Do my eyes stay only for my wife? Do my eyes and my heart only for my husband? Are, is, is my life staying clean and pure for my future wife? Until you decide that, don't talk to me about anger, wrath, bitterness, and all the other things that's listed on down. You're not going to deal with them. Not until these five things are put off. All right? Any questions? Any questions? It will engender a lot of them in the next time when we start to look at the next set. I just thought I'd ask if there's any questions. Okay. Yes, sir. First, maybe you could just explain how uh, covetousness <clears throat> it just says, uh, which is idolatry? How, do we how does covetousness and idolatry? Yeah. Because when, and, and you will know, when, when I, and covetousness is one of those sneaky things That we all live with because anytime you ever watch television, you're being made to want something. Just sit and watch television at 10 o'clock at night and they're pouring cornflakes in front of you. And you go, I gotta get some cereal. They know how to program you. So covetousness is when I have to have something to be happy. I want something and it interferes between me and God. That's what an idol is. Whatever I want more than God is an idol. And that's how people live. When you knock on somebody's door, the last thing they want to think about is anything that makes them think about God. We are in the most covetous and idolatrous generation ever. So anything that I want that's not God or related to godliness or making me grow in godliness is an idol. And that's a lot of things. All right. So that's a good question. I hope I answered it right. Did you okay? <clears throat> Agreed. Yep. Any other questions? Greed, greed that, is, that is a love that's a, what's called an inordinate affection. That's where I'm loving a possession. And I'm making that possession usually the most important thing in my life. So it becomes an idol, and it becomes what I love more than God. And it's crazy. Exactly. And, and greed will kill anybody because greed has no room for charity Greed has no room for giving. Greed only wants. There's no room for God. And there are many Christians who are the most miserable people in the world, in the world, and yet they're seeking after money, and will never be happy. Never be happy. Any other questions or comments? I think yes, sir. Mm. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, sir. That's wisdom. (laughs) No, or else you would not have any locks on your door, and you'd allow just anybody to come in and take whatever they want. No, holding on. Now, when God tells you to give something away, and you won't, that is covetousness, all right? And when, I mean, when he says tithe, you go, no, you're robbing God, the Bible says, right? So, but when, when, when the government says give, and you go, no, <laughs> I'll only give what I have to. Or when you pay your bills and stuff like this, yeah, just, just you're, you're careful not to just, listen, when you become obsessed with things disappearing and things going away, and I say the word obsessed, I mean obsessed where all you're doing is panicking that's when the Lord has allowed that pressure to come in for you to choose, am I going to trust God or am I going to try to control what happens in my life and to my money? You should be protecting your investments, passing it on to uh, Marcus. and That children's uh, uh, inheritance should be passed on to children's children. All that's fine. But in the end, when it's all disappearing, it's being taken away and you can't stop it. Like Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, he's taken away. And you trust God. Until then, until then, be wise. Right? Be frugal. okay? Be careful. I Any other hands? Any other questions? I kind of wanted to finish a little bit early so that you could ask questions because this is, listen, this is probably the most important message I could preach all year. If you could just see where your battles are. And your battle first is in, your, in, your, in, in what you decide to believe. Are you defeated? If you believe you're defeated, you are. If you believe, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. If you believe that that you're a failure and that you'll, you'll always sin and you'll always give in to uh, drink addiction or drug addiction or or to uh, anger, if you believe that's how you are, then you will be. But if you believe that you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God, if you reckon that, Dead daily, you say it's dead. I want what God put in me now on the outside. I want to be like Christ in my life on the outside. You're now reckoning. You're now that'll be the most freeing thing that could happen in your life. Did you have your hand up? It doesn't. It doesn't have to be. Um, uh, it starts with money. Because our most important asset in our life is 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 our money. We so right right. You give time. I you yeah, yeah, actually. Um, I give 10% of my life. So I not only give 10% of my money. I give 10% of my time. I give 10% of everything that I have. I want. I want God to have. That, that teaches me to think of him first, okay? Um, now, if somebody doesn't have any money, you'll still find people in the Bible, like the widow who gave two mites. They're, they're not even a farthing. These things are like, like a sixth of a penny, two of them, and that was all her living. She wanted to give it to God. The point is not that you give until you're broke, but even when you're broke, you still give. And, and if I got 10 euros, one belongs to God. If I got 100 euros, 10 belongs to God. End of the story. I don't even think about it. And that's mortifying the flesh. If I start to debate, should I pay or should I hold on to this money? I'm now, I'm now making a decision that without God. But if I say, you know what? I got 100 euros this week. 10 belongs to God. I have, and this is very plain. This is for next week. But this is the practicality of mortifying the flesh. I have already decided God gets 10. I'm not even going to debate about it. That now takes away the temptation to live on that hundred in disobedience to God, I'm going to live on ninety in obedience, and guess what? It stretches. Does that make sense? So yes, I know somebody's poor and they don't have they don't have thirty cent in their pocket. I'm not going to tell them, you know, boy, give me your money. You know, I wouldn't dare. But as they grow and they start to get to the place where you say, you know what? I want to give. Amen. Start with start with the tie, and they say, I'm going to give it all, and amen. See what happens, and God takes care of them. So God starts with our money because it's the most tangible thing, but it doesn't stop with it. Yes, our time. I mean, look at Sunday. What is Sunday? It's the first day of the week. It belongs to the Lord. That's If I gave the whole 24 hours of Sunday, I'd be at one-seventh of my week. But if I give an hour or two on a Sunday, and then the rest of the time I'm watching football, the rest of the time I'm lounging out in the back garden, I haven't even got a tenth of my time. So, yeah, there's a lot of tenths I should be thinking about. Does it answer your question? All right. Okay, I don't want to belabor. I do want you to think about these things because Colossians chapter 3 is the most liberating chapter I think in the whole Bible for understanding if I reckon these things to be true that I am free. Not that I'm sinless and not that sin doesn't have a hold on me. By the way, I'm going to tell you next week. I think it's next week. Um, I'm going to tell you next week that just, be, just because I'm free doesn't mean the devil doesn't change the hook and make me interested again. <laughs> and he comes along and he shows a different color. And I think, wow, that's pretty. And I wasn't attracted to it before. The devil is not a quitter. Amen? All right, let's stand. Let's bow in